welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, hey now. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hope you continue to do so. And hey, tell a friend to listen. Help me grow. Uh, I love looking at those ratings kind of skyrocket here a bit recently. Uh, top two and a half percent globally, according to listennotes.com, which, you know, isn't the best in the world, obviously, but top two and a half percent. Someone said, how, how good is that? And I said, well, it's better than not being in the top two and a half percent globally, isn't it? So there you go. Uh, today I have a guest who you almost certainly have seen on the small or the big screen, or probably both, uh, because he's been in things like The Wire, Law and Order, House of Cards, Men in Black 3. Um, he also got into filmmaking, writing, directing as well. He's got uh, just his IMDb page, 86 acting credits. Um, he's kind of started making films. Oh, he also was in We Own This City, the HBO miniseries uh, that just came out recently. So you've almost certainly seen this guy uh, on on the screen before, uh, unless you really don't watch a lot of movies and television. Uh, the Night Watchman, uh, he won several awards for that. That's a horror comedy, uh, which he wrote and starred in with his uh, uh, business partner, Dan DeLuca, who you may know from The Wire. Uh, so Ken Arnold, he also, he, what was most interesting to me, well, maybe not most interesting, but very interesting to me was that uh, he started his professional career, we'll say out of college, as a professional baseball player. He made it as high as double A. Uh, he won a gold glove in the minor leagues. He made five all-star teams. So he had a uh, you know, getting to double A is nothing to scoff at in professional baseball. But uh, we talk about uh, he spent nine years playing between organized minor league baseball and independent ball. Uh, but, you know, I, I, he could, I think, see the writing on the wall and started taking acting lessons. And that led to the prolific career that he has had and will continue to have. He's got more exciting projects. We'll talk about some of those. Uh, on the podcast. He's also just a super cool, nice guy, uh, which I think you will gather uh, from our conversation. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, for read ads, I, I do want to just uh, because I talk a lot more than I don't know, maybe I'm comfortable with sometimes talk a lot about mental health on my podcast. I don't do that in this podcast episode uh, with Ken, but uh, I, this interview was like, uh, and I had a, another interview the same day. They were great. I was on top of the world uh, this day. And, uh, you know, you've already heard, if you've listened to the podcast before, I got uh, the lead role in uh, Women Want Everything that was uh announced, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago. Um, so things, 
the podcast is growing. I get a lead role in a comedy movie. Uh, things are going great. And uh, it was some. It was probably the day after I recorded this podcast. And I don't know what it was, but it just... just I, I went on kind of a downward spiral. Uh, and then you can say little things here or there exacerbated it. And I'm in a future episode that you have not heard yet. Um, I've recorded so many, I'm going to start putting out two a week. I, I was logging them for, you know, when I was filming, but I'm going to be able to relatively keep up with the podcast, uh, even if I have a slight accent, because I'm trying to, you know, nail that down. But, <laughs> but uh, I went through a stretch. It was rough. Um, oddly enough, I recorded a podcast you'll hear next week with uh, Tim McCarthy, um, and I'll talk more about this next week, um, before the podcast, but that was kind of the, the day and it had nothing to do with him, uh, at all. Tim was great, uh, very fun guy. And frankly, he had to bear with me while I didn't really have my, uh, my a game, uh, just something, something wasn't clicking. And yeah, I, I'll mention in, again, in a future podcast you haven't heard, I, I, uh, I've intentionally, by the way, for, since I quit my job, you know, my income went from healthy amount to, to zero and, you know, I've made some money, but not a, not a ton of, not nearly as much as I used to make, not, not nearly as much. Um, I'm okay as far as that goes, although I will say, if you'd like to support me, please, I started a Patreon, and I would love your support. That would help quite a bit, uh, you know, because I don't want to get a real job again. I like what I'm doing. <laughs> so if you can join that, you can join for as low as $3 a month. Uh, and at $10 or $20 levels, you get special perks, including every three months you get some merch mailed to your house. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, I don't even have this merch myself. And they won't let me sign up to be my own patron. So, uh, you know, you can have my merch. Um, not that I'm going to wear a t-shirt with my face on it. So there's that. But <laughs> anyways, um, I made it a point in my personal life. I wasn't going to get into any sort of dating scenario, yada, yada, yada. And again, this was a small microcosm. I was on a downward spiral already. I met a girl uh, things progressed well the night we met, you know, we were both intoxicated. Uh, well, at least I was very intoxicated. I assume she was as well. Um, we went on a date with her and, uh, things started going real well and something clicked and crashed and burned, but I, you know, we don't need to worry about the postscript, but just uh, all those little things when you're in that spiral, it's like, ah, oh, I told myself I wasn't going to do this because I was working on me. I was working on my career. And then I let my guard down for a minute and it bit me in the ass. And it's not her fault, by the way. She's not a she's not the bad one in the scenario. Um, it was a it was a bad time for me uh, because I, I was still, you know, while I was excited and all that, I, I still was in a funk. And uh, the funk lasted for about two weeks. And I I'll say I regret, I was never suicidal, which is, you know, obviously a good thing, but I regret that I didn't really utilize my safety net that I talk about so often. 
Um, I mean, my, one of my buddies probably heard more about it. Uh, maybe two of them heard more about it than the rest uh, of them. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, it took, it took a while uh, of me kind of feeling in the dumps for, you know, again, a couple weeks. And that's a small spell, you know. Uh, but luckily I don't know what it was. I think it was actually finally, frankly, making a ridiculously stupid drunk tweet in the middle of the night that maybe somewhat freed me of it. I sat and I wrote like an eight page manifesto about my mental health, which I shall delete. Um, but I think all of that, uh, I don't know. It, it, I woke up the next day and a weight was lifted off me. Um, so I think I'm out of the funk. Um, I think my point in all of this rambling is, you know, I, I did, even if I wasn't honest and, and open with my friends and, you know, my sister, I talked to, uh, during this funk at least once or twice. And I, I mean, several friends I talked to, but it was more of a casual, thing where I could kind of slyly relay my feelings. Um, the biggest problem in uh, to be narcissistic, the, bi the biggest problem I have is when everything is flying high and I should be happy and I'm not, it actually spirals me lower and lower down the, down the, the rungs, if that makes sense, where it's like, no, everything's going well. I should be happy. I should be excited. And then it's not that, that's what makes it worse. So anyways, if you have a friend that, you know, you think suffers from mental health type things, please, 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 please reach out to them. Let them know you love them and uh, give them some help. Uh, because uh, give them a chance to uh, tell you how they're feeling. Because it can be hard to uh, take the first step. So now into the ads. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by <laughs> Ibotta. Ibotta is a cash back shopping app that makes every purchase rewarding. When shoppers start with Ibotta, they can earn cash back on hundreds of brands and retailers, both in-store and online. Earn cash back from Walmart, Target, Kroger, and more. Publix, ABC Liquors, Total Wine, all those places. Uh, use it, download the app, use the link in the show notes so they know I sent ya. And uh, use Ibotta to save money. Seriously, every time I go to the grocery store, I get, just for buying things I was going to buy, between $0.20 cents to $5 back. Um, and that's only because I only buy specific brands of liquor or I'd make a lot more money on the uh, liquor uh, options that Ibotta has. Use the link below. And also, speaking of liquor, hey, drinking spirits is expensive. Instead of dropping bank on a bottle, bottle, you're not sure you'll absolutely love expand your palate with Flaviar's ever-changing, nope, ever-growing collection of spirits. <laughs> this, boy, my reading, sound like Bert Kreischer. This members club curates an extensive collection that's complete with everything from the big brand classics to offerings from smaller craft distillers, 
with personalized recommendations based on your current likes and dislikes and one complimentary tasting box every quarter. There are selection eclipses, which you'll find at local liquor stores and bars, totaling thousands, all documented in the Flaviar app, along with visualized tasting notes. Members also get special pricing, and shipping is free on everything. So when you stumble on a bottle, you need more of it. It will arrive right to your door. Flaviar, use the link below. I hope I didn't just blow out my mic by screaming Flaviar. Use the link below so they know I sent you. And uh, I'll help you get drunk. You help me make a few bucks. Hey, that's a deal, right? All right. Anywho. Uh, also, uh, if you need men's skincare, there's geology. I'm not going to read the whole ad because I went so long in the intro, but use the link below or pure hemp, hemp botanicals. You can do that too. Uh, and the Patreon, of course. All right. Now to Ken Arnold and me. Uh, he's a great guest. I hope you enjoy him despite my very long preamble. All right, everybody. I am now super pleased to welcome Ken Arnold to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you this morning, Ken? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, excited to have you on because, uh, frankly, there's a gazillion things I think we could talk about with your background. Um, and uh, congratulations on, uh, you know, just I, I watched um, We Own the Night. Or I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my movies now. <laughs> we I know own what you meant. City, I, yes, you yes, on HBO. Go. I I got through that in I think two days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, congratulations on on that. Um, and thank uh, you, thank you. Yeah, that's anyone who hasn't watched it yet, and you know, by the time this comes out, it'll be out for a couple months now, or at least. So go go watch it. Um, but you know, get, get your HBO max free trial and you can cancel after you watch it. Dude. <laughs> exactly. That's it. I, that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, you know, you, you gotta know how to play the game or get that's your, right. get your, you know, I, I, I always say I, my, I'm on my, uh, ex-wife's second husband's Netflix account. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, you can get a login to HBO if <laughs> If you really want one. Yeah, yeah if you really want one. You when I'm it. drunk, you can just come up to me and I'll probably log into my account on your phone for for you. And there you go. Watch but, away. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a great series. Um so I, I wanted to to say that up front. We'll and we'll we'll touch more on that. Um, but I love I, I have a fascination with um lately with athletes. Um and what they do after they give up or retire, you know, from sports. Um, and you were a, a professional baseball player for nine years, I think it was, right? Yes, that is correct. Nine years. Nine years professionally. Um, four, five years in organ, organized in MLB organizations. And then I played um, four years of independent baseball. Yeah. And, uh, and all of it is on baseball reference. 
Yes, so I, I can. <laughs> you can reference it. I, it's I can see your stats from Somerset, and I can see them from Huntington. So exactly. and everything in between. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was it was a fun time. I got to say, you know, I I played for nine years. I got to do something that you know a lot of my friends that I played baseball with, who were fantastic players as well, they didn't get the opportunity to do, and I got to do it for nine years, and I'm pretty grateful for that. You know, I didn't make a lot of money doing it, but you know, I made a lot of great friends, and I saw a lot of great places, so it was fantastic. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, you got up to double a ball. It's not like you, you yeah. know, didn't get past rookie ball or something. I mean, you don't make it nine years <laughs> if you, if you can't get past rookie ball, I suppose. Um, but that, you know, that in itself is an accomplishment when um, I guess my fascination. So I was in a much less cool career. I was in insurance claims for 11 years when I'm like, you know, screw this. I'm, I'm going to get into writing and comedy and try, try to get into acting. Um, so a much less sexy career than, than playing professional baseball, although probably frankly more money <laughs> in insurance than minor league baseball. That, that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, um, but I could never go up to a girl at a bar and be like, Hey, I'm in insurance. <laughs> I don't know. There might be somebody out there to be like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably you never not, know. <laughs> probably I mean, not man, my cup of tea. <laughs> the, the size of the groupie pool is probably smaller, but I guarantee you, there's somebody out there who's like, "Oh yeah, insurance, I'm in." Because you got a steady paycheck, buddy. You're you're bringing home the you're bringing home the cash. So. That's that's a good point. There's some stability there until you decide at, at age 35, ah, oh, screw this, I'm quitting. Yeah, <laughs> to, to do a new career that doesn't pay anything. <laughs> um. But so I get my fascination with uh, with athletes uh, is, you know, all of them, whether you are a double A player or a Hall of Fame player, by the time you're unless you're Tom Brady, by the time you're 35, 40, your career's over and you've it's got over. a lot yeah. of life left ahead of you. Um, exactly. So it's a, you know, and obviously not every former athlete makes a nice transition into their second act so to speak um and i i think i read from you you actually started dabbling in acting while you were still playing ball that is true um i played minor league baseball through 99 so 99 was my last year but i started taking acting classes and doing acting in 1996 so uh you know i was doing it in the off season i was taking classes as much as i could because you know you, you got to learn you got to constantly be learning in this business you just have to you have to train you got to do what you got to do just like baseball you know if you stop you know you're not going to be good anymore you're going to get rusty and and you know your skills are going to diminish uh so i started in 96 and uh i had to turn down some really cool stuff because i was still playing I was still playing uh, baseball, but th that's okay. You know, it all worked out because once I finally stopped uh, playing baseball, then I just jumped right in and I joined the union, the Screen Actors Guild, and it just took off from there. What At what point, um, and it's, you know, you had a nice nicer transition probably than many because you kind of had your next path kind of determined for you, but at what point did you – I guess come to realize like hey, I'm not I'm not making the majors uh I'm wasting I don't know if wasting time is a is not a correct way of saying it frankly because I think most people my age who never played professional ball would be like I'll 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 play for free and ride on the bus and play you know until I throw my back out <laughs> okay well in in 96 uh I just got released by the Rangers and 
you know, I'm saying to myself at this point, because I got called into a couple offices at this point, and, you know, the, the higher ups in each organization was like, you know, you're, you're kind of old, you, you know, you, you're doing well, and you're playing well, but you're old, we, we work, you know, it's a business, we work with the younger prospects the put people we have money in. So, you know, what do you, what do you want out of this? And, you know, at the time in 96, I'll still keep playing. Um, but in the meantime, I was thinking outside the box, what am I going to do? I had been offered jobs to work up in New York city in Manhattan. Uh, you know, I'd gotten those right out of college, but I turned them down to chase the dream for a little bit. And then I, I realized by 96 that, you know, working for me was not an option nine to five doing that, going into the city, riding the subway back and forth, having an apartment in Manhattan just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was looking for something that I can make my own schedule. If I put the effort into it, it was going to show results. And, um, you know, I, I was watching a soap opera one day, uh, Days of Our Lives, and <laughs> John Black was on the screen. His real name's Drake Hogenstein. And I knew that he used to play minor league baseball for the Yankees. And I saw him and I was, I, and it hit me right then and there. I said, I could be as bad as he is. And, you know, (laughs) but I learned, I learned soap opera acting is difficult because you're moving so fast. You don't get a lot of rehearsal time and you don't get many takes. So you can't perfect it. You can't work out the kinks and get the take sometimes that you want. And that's why sometimes it seems stiff or overdramatic and the acting because it's happening so fast. You don't have time to really work at it like you would in a movie or a TV series. So that's why soap acting you know, is soap acting is what you see. But it's difficult because you're shooting an episode every single day, 60 minutes. Well, not a 60 minute show, but 40, but it's, you know, covers an hour, but it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to do. And, uh, um, you know, I said to myself, if I could do what John Black's doing, you know, I think I can. And uh, I jumped up right then and there. I made a phone call that day right after watching this. And I called Marilyn Hall for the creative arts, which isn't far from where I am now. And they said, we got a class starting tonight. Can you be there? And I jumped in my car, went down there, took the class, loved it. And the rest is, you know, history. So. Yeah. And, and uh, soap opera acting, I was, uh, was, flicking through channels which is weird to do nowadays frankly but i i was and i i saw soap opera and i stopped and watched and i'm like part of me thinks they're like playing they're acting like a soap opera actor as a <laughs> like they, they need to act over dramatic and do weird faces towards the camera <laughs> yeah but like i said there's there's a reason behind why that happens that way you know, you really don't have a lot of time and you're rushed. Sometimes you get one rehearsal and one take and you're done. You got to move on because you just have to. And like I said, if and they're giving you lines right before you walk on set. A lot of times they're giving you a whole new rewrite of a scene. And you're just like, whoa, all right, this is three pages of dialogue that I've <laughs> never seen before. And you want me ready and when 15 minutes. Gotcha. All right. Here we go. <laughs> That's so. uh yeah that's scary to me. I when I was a uh, when I was in grade school I guess was uh when I did most of my acting and uh I could memorize a line the night before, you know, I could memorize uh, you know a whole play the night before and I realized when I was auditioning for uh a film and I was just reading the sides which were four pages and half of them were my lines it took me a good week and I still was like, I don't know if I remember these. Well, I, uh, old age does not do well with my memory. 
Well, it just like anything this, else. This doesn't help either. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the thing is, is that the more you do it, the better you get, you know, the better you get at memorizing stuff. And, you know, I was always worried about that as well. But then as I jumped into doing theater, as I jumped into doing these industrial videos down here in the DC area, because there's so many of them, and it's a lot of technical jargon that you have to memorize and things like things along those lines. Once you learn that you can memorize that stuff, and regurgitate it and spit it back out. Dialogue in a TV or film is a piece of cake, you know, because if it's well written, the line before prompts you into what you're going to say next. Right. So, in most cases, in most cases. So, you know, the training that I got down here in DC with these industrial videos was invaluable, you know, because it just helped me hone the skill of memorizing stuff that was tough. You know, when you're filling out form 302S for the IRS. You know, and we're explaining it and I got to memorize all the details of how to Oof. fill this form out. You see what I'm saying? That's <laughs> difficult. Now, when I have to learn, here's your package, ma'am, or, you know, and this is going great. You know, those things are are easy to remember for me now because I, you know, had to learn stuff. I was given a book this fat. They, uh, an actor dropped out of a project for an industrial video. And it was one of those videos where you choose the scenario, right? Oh, so each scene had five different outcomes and the manual was that fat and that was how much dialogue because i was the main character i was the one traveling through the scenarios and i had to learn five different outcomes for each scene the actor dropped out they contacted me three days before they started production oh, and they were like, can you do it and i was like all right you know it was, it was you know i'm coming i'm coming in here we go and <laughs> i was I jumped ahead and I learned the first two days of, of the script. And then as we were going, because it was a three week shoot, as we were going, I was shooting the stuff that I had to shoot. And in between, I was memorizing the stuff for the next two, three, four days down the line. So it was crazy. But once I got through that, my confidence level was like, I can memorize anything at this point. Uh, really? I just, I can, because it was, uh, it was some good training really you know throw me right into the fire and you know you either sink or you know you got to do it sink or swim right yeah and it's uh you know th thinking about it it's funny it, the way memory works um i could tell you what i had to eat uh you know uh the day of a, a saints right? game in 2007 because yeah. it, it, there's memory i can tell you all about that game but i can't tell you what i ate yesterday uh I, I'm trying to think of what I ate yesterday. I seriously cannot remember, <laughs> and it's that's not fully alcohol related. Some some of that's. <laughs> if I start burping, I might I might get. <laughs> it might remember something. Oh yeah. yeah oh yeah, peanut yeah. butter. That's a. <laughs> exactly. I remember eating that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I, I guess it's uh you know the way your brain is wired you can you can make it work, um. Your your acting career, um, and you're are you in Maryland? I am. I live in Annapolis, Maryland now. Yeah. Yeah, and you've never. I mean, you've never relocated to L.A. or New York, correct? No, no, I haven't. You know, and it hasn't made it uh, difficult in a sense. Yeah, because you know, I'm not there. I'm not in the center of it. But um, you know, for somebody who comes from Maryland, my, you know, I've booked a lot of stuff. You know, and and I think it is approaching the craft and going in and doing your best. And if you're the best choice, they're going to hire you. They don't care where you're from. 
You know, they want the best choice for the project. And, you know, I don't, I personally, when I'm directing something or I don't care where you're from, I just need to know that you're the best option for my film and you're going to do the best job for me. And, you know, sometimes it gets a little confusing, you know, um, the union kind of frowns on it when you bounce around a little bit, you know, and you say, well, I can work it as a local in New York because I have places to stay, you know, mm. and they get a little iffy about that sometimes. But look, here's what I say, because people from New York come here all the time to work on stuff. Right. And right. that's OK. But if I go to New York and all of a sudden you guys have a problem with it, yeah, you know, here's my here's my advice to you. Be a better actor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> be a better actor then they'd hire you so don't get mad at me because you know i'm out here trying to make a living too right so but that was uh you know it's part of it it's part of the whole acting thing you know um working where you can when you can and you know making it work survive yeah and uh you uh just watching your uh your acting reel uh it it seems like you play a lot of characters with a badge um, I do. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> That's uh, you. You've uh, you you've got that. Uh, I don't know the. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but it it makes sense looking at you. Um, you you've almost got a uh, a a young well a young now a, a back in his heyday a, a Corbin Burnson type vibe. I would say. I've worked with Corbin twice. He's oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, you know, it, and that's how people work. You know, a typecast actor is a working actor in this industry, mm -hmm. and you're going to get keep getting hired. I can't tell you how many military roles I've done. You know, I've done Secret Service, astronauts, military, uh, right on down the line, cops, detectives, security guards, because that's that's my persona, that's my archetype, that's who I am, and uh, it works. You know, I'm getting ready to start a film tomorrow, and I am the maintenance slash security guard you know at a bowling alley so you know it just is what it is and uh, you know another security type position <laughs> right yeah so. and, and uh you uh I, looking at the scenes i'm imagining i could probably have gotten this from your imdb page but i'm a you seem like you're tall uh which in hollywood means anything over six foot <laughs> yeah I, I I'm six foot one, fortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm six yeah. two. That's what I, I yeah. joked. Um, I was at a wedding with, uh, Nick Valonga, the guy who uh, wrote uh, green book mm -hmm. and, uh, he's a, you know, large Italian man, uh, roughly my size, probably a little shorter and, you know, 30 years older than me. And I'm like, Hey, if you're doing another movie, you need a big fat Italian guy. Just call me. He's like, yeah, I don't give away my roles to other people. I'm like, oh, good point. <laughs> Thanks. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I asked him. I'm like, so you're you know again roughly my size. Do you usually play a, a a giant on screen? He's like, yeah. Go through my IMDb page. Half of them are big goon and giant guy in this. Yeah. It's, and that uh, depends on the actors too, the lead actors in the in the piece. Because I remember working on Minority Report with Tom Cruise, and it, this was when I first started, and I was doing extra work. And um, I'm working on Minority Report, and the AD comes in, the second AD, and choosing people to do a scene with Tom. And he walks up to me, and he's like, "You, you, and you." And then we all stand up, and then he looks at me, and he goes, "Not you." <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you know, Tom is five foot eight, and he they want everybody to be about close to his height. 
So I, you know, sometimes it works for you. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, and that's what a lot of actors don't understand is you can be the best actor in the world. Right. But you're too tall. You're too short, you know, to match up with the other people in the scene. And then that's why you wouldn't get the job. Not that you would ever know that, you know, cause they're not going to tell you, but things like that happen. I've worked on both sides of it, you know, so I've, I've been behind the casting and I've seen how they work that. And I've been in front of the camera and I see how they pair people up and they do different things. And most actors don't realize that a lot of times you don't get the role. It's not because you're not a good actor. You were great. You just weren't, you know, right. For some other reason. Right. You're, you're, you're just not a fit. For, mm -hmm. uh, what do you, and you have uh, tons of acting credits, um, but you also have writing uh, directing experience. Uh, at this point, is there a preference? Is it like, I prefer to be behind the camera or in front of the camera or, you know, same thing, basically. You know, it kind of is the same thing. Um, you know, I've done producing. Producing is tough, and and I'll tell you why. It's it's money, right? Because now you've got to go out and you got to raise money. You got to get people to believe in you and your project, and you know it's tough. That's the hard part, raising money, and then you've got to be a good steward of that money, and you can't waste that money. You got to spend it in the right places, and you know you got to do the right thing. It's a business, right? Um, directing is a little different. It's a lot of work, you know, because you're there all the time when you're directing, that's it. You're there. You've got to be prepared. You've got to have your shot list. You got to have your storyboards. You got to know every detail of that film. Um, you know, and I've done that and I love that too, but I think acting is kind of the best because I get to just play, you know, I just get to jump in, you know, and I do my research and I do my work, but I get to be somebody else for, you know, two, three weeks and, you know, while I'm on camera, it's fun. And I get to explore stuff and, and work with other really talented people. And it's great. It is uh, your approach to acting. Uh, and I, I think from what you just said, I probably know the answer. I know there's the famous uh, method actors who sometimes scare off or uh, annoy their, their co-stars. Um, <laughs> and then there's people, I, I remember listening to Aaron Paul do an interview. He's like, no, I'm just once the camera turns on, I play someone else. And once they say cut, I, I stop. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's fun. And, uh, you know, is that kind of your more your approach is I'm just while we're shooting, I'm, you know, I'm in character when, you know, when we're hanging out at craft services, I'm just Ken. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, it, it, there are different ways to go about it. And I respect every actor's method or, or whatever it is, technique, whatever you want to call it. And I respect every actor for whatever it is they want to do. Um, me personally, I just go out there and have fun, you know, and if I see somebody who's method and they're doing their thing, I leave them alone. If they want to be left alone, I leave them alone. If they want to interact and they want to have, you know, some laughs or whatever between scenes, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that either, but my method is, and I, this is the one thing that I try to tell younger actors is become really good at you, right? Being you on camera. And then, you know, you can start there and then everything else is just icing on the cake. Right. And so I, what I learned first was be really good at being Ken on camera and being natural and having fun. And then from there, then you can start layering stuff in and becoming like a Captain Jack Black, like Johnny Jeff, Johnny Depp does, right? Because he's not Johnny Depp when he's playing Captain Jack. He's Captain Jack 
and he right. adds those layers to it. But when Johnny Depp was young, he became really good at being Johnny Depp, you know, in 21 Jump Street and, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and things like that. And then as he progressed and he did Edward Scissorhands and things like that, he learned how to branch out and become different types of characters and layer that stuff on. So, but it, like I said, every, every actor is different. I respect every actor for whatever choice they make and how they do it. And, uh, you know, I just go out there, have fun. And when it's time to go, I'm in it, you know, I'm in it. That's, that's it. And when it's time to be serious and, you know, do what we have to do, let's go. But yeah, when I'm off, if I'm at the craft table, yeah, let's have a conversation. I'm, <laughs> You're, you know, whatever you're, you want to talk about. You're not still the the cop with the at the craft service. <laughs> no. no. Uh, hey, what are you What are you eating there? Yeah. <laughs> Show me your hands. Okay. No. Yeah. yeah that that could be uh, even funnier if you're playing a character with uh with an accent. I think if you just... <laughs> now there are times like when I was doing an Irish play in D.C. I jumped into the Irish accent weeks before and I stayed in it and I just spoke with an Irish accent for like a month prior because I really wanted to have it down and I wanted to be in, you know, I wasn't in character, but I was as Ken speaking with an Irish accent. You know, a lot of my friends were like, what the, you know, what are you doing right now? I'm getting ready for a play and I need to be, you know, I need to be tight with my accent. So. No, I've been, I, the, the film I'm in next month, uh, I'm playing a character with a Southern accent uh, there you go. and it's like, I might a, a week or two in advance, just, just ride it out and just talk that way. <laughs> Hope that it goes away by the time the filming ends. Um, but, a, but mainly because, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed I got this job because the first audition was just a video audition. And I was so focused on getting a Southern accent because I'm terrible. I've got such a nice, regular speaking voice that I don't like to do accents <laughs> but I focus so much on the accent I was not acting I was just reading words with a southern accent and uh I got a call back and he's like yeah, just more energy don't you know more energy and I'm like oh screw the, don't just talking with a southern accent's not that hard just and I was told the accent was not completely Southern, but it's like, eh, I'll figure that, that out. <laughs> I got the acting part down. I just need to work on the accent. I don't think anyone's going to be watching a, a, a silly comedy movie like, ah, I don't know, his dialect is uh, yeah. it's varying between North Carolina and Alabama. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. I, do, have you seen the new Thor yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, let me tell you something russell crowe's accent russell Crow. <laughs> i have no idea what accent that was what that was from but whatever it was what it was and you believed it right and yeah i i love that he swung for the fences i guess <laughs> i don't know what it was i don't know what it was either but hey we bought it and we loved it so we were like yeah all right russell <laughs> yeah well that's the funny thing it's like he could have just done his voice I don't, I doubt they told him to do anything different, but yeah, it, you know, he, he thought Zeus needed a whatever. <laughs> and it made it funny. So yeah. Yeah. It did add to it. I'm, I, it was almost uncomfortable though, knowing, <laughs> listening uh, to him <laughs> a little bit. And then uh, presumably you know, cause that's, that's gladiator, right? You're like, oh man, he could have done his gladiator voice. Oh, right. Yeah. Fine. It would have fit just fine. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like Thor doesn't have an accent, <laughs> but he's got, a, he's got a funny one too, but whatever. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't even know if that's his, I, I don't even know what Chris Hemsworth actual voice is at this point, because 
I've I've seen him as Thor, and I've saw him in uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie. Um, the uh, the new one that he did with Netflix was uh, Spider. Uh, what was it called? Like I haven't that, seen that one yet. Yeah, it's Spiderhead. It's called Spiderhead. Spider yeah, and it just came out, and he has an American accent in that. Yes, I saw right. it, some movie in a hotel, which is a and a, a phenomenal movie. I thought, uh, goodness gracious, it's going to drive me insane now that I can't think of it. John Hamm's in it, um, <laughs> but he he has an American kind of a Southern accent a little bit. I should go back and I need to find that movie and watch it. Maybe I can model myself after Chris Hemsworth. That's there you go. Yeah, where, like, where can I go get wrong out there? there start doing <laughs> start doing the ropes. Start flipping some tires. You'll, you'll, hey, hey yeah, when you'll he was ready. when he was Fat Thor in Endgame, it gave all of us uh, chubby guys a nice Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll just carry around an axe. I'm Fat Thor. Leave me alone. <laughs> you look like ice cream. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the that movie. Uh, has its uh i love the marvel movies but endgame has its problems but i love all of the references to other movies inside of it yeah. um including uh, uh iron man calling him lebowski yep. jeff bridges of course was also the villain in the first iron man and i'm like that's, that's kind of funny call funny funny pop culture callbacks um i uh speaking of i i I wanted to make a joke, but, uh, uh, and this was watching your reel before I watched Better Call Saul, which I know you have not seen last night's episode. Um, but in your acting reel, you know, you, you get shot at least a, two, a couple times. Uh, One of them by uh, Giancarlo Esposito, or I think yeah. he pronounces it es Esposito. Yeah. Um, yes, he killed me. Yeah. So <laughs> Gus Fring killed you. I mean, that's it. <laughs> shot me dead. That's, that's, to me, I'm like that. That would be the dream. I like. I don't need to be famous or anything. I just like Walter White or Gus Fring to kill me in a movie. <laughs> I was I was very happy when that happened at the time. I was like, Gus just shot me. This was great, right? Because Breaking Bad had already been out, you know, mm -hmm. when I shot that. And uh, yeah, when I, when I saw him on set that day, I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And it was, you know, I got shot by Gus. <laughs> so yeah, he he's a He's had kind of a late. I mean, he's been around for forever. I forever. Guess, I mean, he's he's had a great career across the board, and and I just think it's continuing for him. I mean, he's in the boys, in, and he's doing yeah. Better Call Saul, and of course, he was in Breaking Bad, and he did Revolution, the one that we did together, and I got shot, and he just he's all over, and he's he's a great actor, and he deserves, you know, all of it. So, and he's a really nice person too. We had, you know, we had some uh, good conversations on set. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, that's it's always good to hear when the when the TV villain is a <laughs> yeah, but but it, it is interesting that someone who is so um, uh, identified as I mean you see him no matter what movie or TV show even if I watch the Usual Suspects he's a cop in that yeah. uh, I, immediately it's oh it's Gus Fring but he still dissolves into whatever character he's playing it doesn't. Even though it's in your head that this is Gustavo Fring, the the, the evil chicken guy, you, you still watch whatever he's in. And while you identify that, you still believe his character. Um, that's, uh, you know, uh, that's admirable that he's able to overcome that, you know, in a way. Uh, I don't, you know. Yeah, there are some actors who can't. 
overcome that because yeah, see him just like I can't see him as anybody else. You know, like it's it's just who you are. Some some actors can do it, like Julie Louise Dreyfus. I mean, she's she's fantastic. You know, she's always going to be known as Elaine, but she's also going to be known as the as Veep. You know, right? She's going to be known as well because she made a great transition, and you didn't feel as if you were watching Elaine when you were watching you know, this, the good stuff, uh, the new stuff. And, you know, some actors can do it. And then there are other actors you will always see, you yeah. know, like Ron Howard. He's always mm. going to be Rich, Richie Cunningham to me. And I was, in a way, in a way, Opie. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I was thinking same, same, uh, same uh, as Elaine. I was thinking Kramer, Michael Richards is, you know. Yeah. He's, he's only going to be Kramer forever. I, I remember yeah. that poor guy, not that poor guy, but when well, he George was too, Costanza, same. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He, I think there was actually a riff in Curb Your Enthusiasm where he was saying he couldn't get gigs because everyone saw him as Costanza. Uh, yeah. I, I still remember uh, Seinfeld was on Letterman, I want to say, after Michael Richards' whole stand up debacle. Um, and he invited Michael Richards on. And once his face pops up, the audience just cannot stop laughing. Yeah. And, and Jerry and, and Letterman are just like, guys, stop. This isn't funny. But he, <laughs> it's Kramer. You, you're laughing. <laughs> he just uh, looks funny. Yeah. yeah. And, and the poor guy is like, I'm so deeply sorry. And the audience is just laughing. And it's like, ooh, this is rough. This is as, well, not as offensive, but as uncomfortable to watch as his stand-up thing was his apology because people are just giggling at, at Kramer. Um, that's, uh, I guess the, the plus and the minus of having a role like that is he doesn't need to work again. He probably gets so much in residual still from Seinfeld. Well, the money that they made when they were shooting that was, you know, they were, I believe they were all getting a million dollars an episode. I think at the end, in yeah. The last season, last two seasons. So yeah, they were making a lot of money at the yeah. time. So I don't I mean, think I don't think Kramer needs to work anymore, but you know, he could have really if you know, he really could have gone a lot of places, but you know, it is what it is. So Yeah, well he's if if he had taken some uh stand up classes instead of just trying to be Kramer on stage, it probably would have worked. You know, learn how to deal with hecklers. Yeah. <laughs> learn how to deal with hecklers and maybe don't go up there drunk. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Probably not using the N-word is a good, <laughs> a good step. That's a good also. start. <laughs> just never use that word on stage. Yeah. Just a good rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, you you have a, uh, a, I'm assuming, based on your uh, writing and directing, you have a love for uh, the horror Horror comedy. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, um, when we first started making movies and we came up with our first idea, the night watchman, we were kind of living in that realm. We were working, we were doing stuff with, uh, Jamie Nash, who I'm working with again on this feature film coming up. He's directing, but Jamie Nash, who's an incredible writer, uh, horror genre, but he's very funny. And he, he writes a lot of comedic stuff. He actually has written Christmas movies for Nickelodeon, believe it or not that you see every year on Nickelodeon, tiny, uh, tiny Santa and Santa hunters. He's, <laughs> he wrote both of those, but he also writes the goriest, funniest, messiest horror films you'd ever want to, you know, watch. And we're doing one starting tomorrow. It's called the last night at Terrace lanes. And, um, you know, I was doing, I was dabbling in that, that world. We were doing a web series called para abnormal, 
which was mostly improv based, but you know, he would give us an outline and say, these are the things you got to hit. And it was about a misfit bunch of ghost hunters. Mm. And it, you know, it's kind of like what you would see on, uh, you know, ghost hunters international and stuff like that. And we were just a mess. We just couldn't get it. We never found anything, but you know, we, <laughs> we tried, but we just never found anything. So I was living in that world. And then we came up with our idea for our first feature and we were saying, well, what sells? What's the thing that people, you know, horror movies sell around the world? They just do because fear is fear. And, you know, it is what it is. Comedy a little tougher because people in France don't find what we find funny. You know, people in Japan don't find what we find funny. Maybe right. they do. Maybe they don't. We don't know. You know, so comedy is a little harder to sell worldwide. <clears throat> um, but we were like, yeah, but we'd like to do funny stuff. So let's put the horror and the comedy together and see what happens. We did for the Night Watchmen and the film took off. You know, we sold it around the world to, you know, 30 markets and, you know, it did great here domestically. And we were just like, all right, let's stay in that realm. Let's keep doing what we're doing there. And then we did a comedy of horrors, which is a horror comedy anthology it just came out a couple months ago. Uh, that's done well. People, you know, they're sending us stuff going, man, that was funny. So then we did, we just finished or we're just in the final stages of a horror Western, this straight up horror film. Mm. Um, we're just finishing that, but we're jumping back into horror comedy. The one I'm working on now, last night at Terrace Lanes, that's a horror comedy. So we're jumping right back into doing those because I think it's in, in our wheelhouse. You know, it's what we like to do where we have fun. I think the best, although a horror Western is a intriguing, I, I, I don't think I've ever, I'm, I'm not the biggest horror fan because, and, and I'll say this, but um, horror comedy, I can, I can dig that. Like that's when, when it's, I think a lot of the problem with horror movies for me is the, the serious ones. It's like, all right, like I'm supposed to believe that, that this is really happening and these people are this stupid. And, but when yeah. you just add a little comedy to it, it, it makes it, digestible <laughs> if that may no, be I, I agree yeah i totally agree with that uh you know like shawn of the dead zombie land things like that you know because you're having fun with it you're having fun with the genre and you, you know the, the people are stupid that's the way they were written <laughs> you know right. what i mean <laughs> right well that's i i remember uh someone was like hey watch freddy versus jason i'm like ah, i don't like the gory stuff bothers me i watched it and i'm like oh that was a good comedy movie that wasn't a horror movie that was I'd, funny <laughs> i'd take it that way too you know with the, the straight up horror films a lot of times i'm just like let's see how ridiculous the next kill can be and i'm pretty sure that when they go into it they're thinking the same thing let's see how over the top we can make this how different we can make it from the kills we did prior you know in the series so it, it's fun I, I think it's fun i think it's one of the best genres the fan base is fantastic we go to these right. horror cons all the time we're going to one at the end of the month uh scares of care down in williamsburg virginia we're going to be there for three days and the fan base is just so phenomenal they love it they're so invested in it and you know as long as you pre present a really good story uh, you know they're in they're in and they love it and i love being around those folks because they're just so much fun to hang out with yeah, it's uh, uh, it's yeah, the, the fan base for horror movies. It's funny when you talk to someone who's a big horror person. For me, is I I find like uh, 
I find the line where they're like, oh yeah, watch this movie. I'm like, no, that's just gross. Yeah, that's like, too dude. over the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I and and some people dig that. They just want to see the, the goriest, grossest things, and and good on them if they can stomach it. I I can't get past the opening scene in Saving Private Ryan, so I don't yeah. I don't need to see many zombie movies. <laughs> yeah, like I like Halloween, but once you get into the realm of like Human Centipede and things like that, I'm just like, mm. you know, I'm like, well, I don't know about that one. But you know, Halloween. <laughs> Friday the 13th yeah the films in that in that vein love them I love them I love you know anything that's you know the nun the newer ones the conjuring stuff you know those things are really good I enjoy those um and of course a horror comedy anything that um you know Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and and uh you know those guys do is phenomenal so I, I love watching their horror comedies and things that they do so yeah it's a it's an area that uh in from a writing perspective i i remember and this kind of is the the uh reason that everything i'm doing exists as far as comedy podcasting acting all of that is i i was committed to writing a uh, i wanted a dark comedy and i just wrote a dark movie and i'm like this isn't funny at all but <laughs> no but this is depressing it's not funny yeah. um and that's when I, I started asking comedians and they're like, oh, you got to do stand up, start a podcast. You'll you'll find ways to be entertaining and, and be light uh, when you're just sitting writing an apocalyptic thing that you think is going to be funny. You know, a lot of it just is dark, not not funny. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, you start. But it's good that you're out there and you're doing the stand up thing and you're doing uh, the podcast. And yeah, you learn how to be, you know, quick with what what you come back with and those ideas. And in most scenarios that I've ever been in, when we're improvising or, you know, we're just riffing on stuff. That's some of the funniest stuff that stays in the movie or stays in the web series or stays in the TV series that we do. So uh and it because it's happening in the moment and it's real it's a real reaction and it's a real thought that's happening and uh some of the best moments in our films were where we you know went off book and just started riffing and having fun with it yeah there's a uh and it's funny because you again you have kind of the experience on both ends of the of the camera uh there's a i always wonder how much how far away from the script is acceptable sometimes if if you just think oh this would be really funny you, you know and, and then i i think back it's like well you watch like the outtakes of a jim carrey movie and he does 17 different punchlines, but only one made it to the film because the first 15 people laughed too much and they had to you know can't put it in the movie uh yeah. but he changed it every time that they did a new take um now he's obviously you know jim carrey yeah, yeah. He, his brain works different than yours or mine's yes. or probably anyone else's on the planet um but uh and that's probably a good thing um but uh uh it's is there a where you know it, there's a it seems like there's a fine line between improvising and uh, going too far off book yeah and i'll and i'll give you the breakdown <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you the breakdown pretty much. You know, if I'm working for CBS or NBC or, you know, Universal or Paramount or whatever, you pretty much you want to stay what's written. 
right? You're going to stay what's written. But when you get there and the director's like, oh, add this, add that. You know, when I did when We Own the City, um, they were throwing jokes at me because I started doing some stuff at the end. I was saying some stuff at the end that wasn't scripted. And they were like, oh, that was good. Now, hold on. You know, and then they were, they would go away, David Simon and, and George Pelicanos, and they would come back and say, oh, say this at the end, do this now, you know, and they were started adding stuff. Normally, I, you know, I try to give them some options, some ideas, but, you know, at that level, in where I'm at in my career, I kind of want to give them what's scripted. Now, if they say, go ahead and add some stuff and, you know, have fun with it, great. But usually, they record what's written first, and then they'll say, go ahead, make, you know, do some stuff, you know, have fun with this one, you know, ad lib, do whatever. Um, in independent filmmaking, it's a little bit different. Now, you know, I'm working with Jamie Nash, and I've worked with Jamie many times. We did a whole web series that was based on improv. So Jamie knows where I can go with the improv and what I can do. So as he's writing for me, he's like, all right, this is generally what we're going to shoot first. But, you know bring ideas with you, be ready to improvise, do, you know, throw stuff in for us. And at that level, at the indie level, it's, they're looking for stuff. They're looking for things that are going to up the production value and make it a better story and more funny. So, you know, they're, they're looking for that. Uh, and it's, I haven't really come across a writer at the independent level who's been like, nah, you know, we're going to do it exactly as I wrote it. You know, I've, I really haven't come across that. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who are directors like that and they want word for word. David Fincher is one of them. And, you know, but he puts out a great product. So you got to, you know, you got to respect how he does it. Even in the audition process, he wants it word perfect, which is, you know, and knowing, knowing that going in, if you're audition, auditioning for Fincher, it's fine because then you'll be word perfect. But if you know you got a little leeway with the lines and you can add something here and there, some casting directors love it, some don't you know you just got to figure that out you got to learn your casting directors who who learns that i mean who who uh will allow that in an audition and then your directors have a conversation with the director hey is it okay if i you know maybe add a line here at the end or you know is before we and then sometimes they'll be like yeah and other times they'll be like no don't okay then i won't you know so it depends it depends on the situation the scenario and like I said, where I'm at in my career right now, if I'm working on something bigger, I kind of try to stay the script the way it's written. And then if it's an independent project and I'm working with friends and things like that, then maybe, you know, I'll have fun with it. Add some stuff here and there. Yeah, and I, I guess with uh, with your level of experience too, you, you've, you've learned, and I think some actors have sometimes had issues in their career getting jobs because they... Uh, you know, their job is to be an actor, not to write the movie uh, or direct. The exactly. Movie. And then they want a writer's credit. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can I, I think that's the interesting thing that always in, in my head, um, you know, and, and, you know, not that I not that I have anything uh, outside of a, a, a movie that I told you about that I'm, I'm shooting. Not that I have any job acting beyond that necessarily, but. Um, it's still, even that it's like, I, I'm worried about like, Oh, where are we going to shoot? The, it doesn't matter. I'm, my job is to show up and be this character. It's not to worry about anything else. Anything else. If you're acting, that's it. Period. Focus on your acting. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I think know? it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I think you, you know, I, I've, I've heard, you know, guys like Edward Norton has, 
you know, been kicked out of Marvel movies uh, because he cared a little more about the you know, and and I, you know, part of me is like, well, what's wrong with caring about the movie quality? Like, but you know, you're you're paid to be an actor. You're not paid to direct or to write or. <laughs> and then you know, it it is what it is when actors come on set. You know, and a lot of actors, like I said, I appreciate their method and their technique, and I'm not gonna say. You know, if they they come in and they want to have a conversation with the director about how their character would react, he wouldn't say that here, or he wouldn't do that here, or, or she wouldn't do that there, or whatever it is, that's fine. You know, I don't I don't get involved in that. But uh, the way I I work is, you know, I I might have a conversation with the director about it, but at the end of the day, the director is the director. That's why he got hired. Mm-hmm or she got hired or where, you know, whoever the director is, and I'm going to give them what they're asking for. Now I may ask for a take for me, say, Hey, you know, can I give you a take where, you know, and maybe put my slant on it a little bit. And in some cases I have done that and it made it in the film and other cases I have done that and it didn't make it in the film, but it, everybody is trying to put their best foot forward in, in a project they really are you know there's nobody who walks into a movie is like ah, i'm totally screw this up because i want this movie to be crap <laughs> yeah right who's who does that i mean if they do they're nuts so you're going out there and you're trying to make the movie so when actors come and they say things like, like ed norton comes in he's just trying to make it the best he can do all right and he's saying that i don't fault him for doing that you know the producers might not like it the director might not like it and they'll replace him everybody's replaceable too let's right you know what i'm saying let's let's be clear uh so you know like i said again at the level that i'm at i'm not going to go in and ruffle too many feathers now if i'm number one on the call sheet and it's my movie and we're doing something for paramount and you know there's something in it that maybe i don't like i might fight for it you know i might fight for it because i feel as you know this is my movie i'm the lead actor you know um uh, and i don't like the way that this scene portrays me or whatever, you know, that may be the case, but that's, you know, those things get worked out. So. Uh, being as someone who uh, has not been on a, a movie set as of yet, uh, I, I've, I've heard several times and I understand the concept of it. I, I'm intrigued by it though, is uh, I've heard people talking about movies uh, I, and I, I'm trying to think of one, but I, I can't offhand where they say, yeah, this movie was kind of made in editing, um, where they, they shot hours and hours and hours of footage. And even the actors really didn't know fully what the movie was, what was going on. Yeah. Um, have you, I guess a two-part question. I know you've had some roles like in men in black three, where you probably got, you know, a, a little bit of the script, not the whole thing. So you but it, you didn't need to know where, what the ending of the movie was or anything no. to play your role. Yeah. Um, but, you know, has, has there been a project and again, on either side of the camera where it's been like, yeah, this, this we, we thought we were doing this, but in editing, something else kind of came out that was better it, or worse. <laughs> it happens more than you would think. <laughs> Especially at the independent level, uh, you know, the horror comedy, I mean, the horror Western that we shot in Austria, 
uh, you know, the initial vision of it uh, was a lot different than the final version that you're going to see on screen. It's similar, but, you know, there's a lot of differences. A lot of rewriting happened while we were on set based on the locations and different things that we had to, we had to adapt. You know, when you're doing low budget filmmaking, a lot of times you have to adapt to what you're given and the situation. And sometimes you've got to, you've got to adjust on the fly. And what you pictured in your head when you first started out, it may not be the final thing that you see. The Night Watchman was the same way. And that was probably our most successful project. But, you know, we shot for two days and then rewrote the entire script. Oh, wow. After our first two days of shooting. So wasn't exactly what we were planning on doing, but I think the changes that we made made the film better um, in the end. So it could have been a disaster, but fortunately we were with some really talented people, some really great actors, and they pulled it all together and made it work and made it fun. So uh, yeah, sometimes a film can be made in the edit. The Night Watchman was made in the edit. Our horror Western is being made in the edit right now hmm. because when I left Austria, I was like, yeah, I don't know if we got it. But after seeing what we're putting together in the rough cuts and everything and how it's progressing. I'm like, all right, we did. That's, you know, we got a solid story. Um, you know, now it's just making sure we make it as tight and as, as clean as possible. So when people see it, they're just not like, what, you know, so we got to connect all the dots now, so to say, so to speak. And that's, uh, is, is the editing process is is that enjoyable or is it tremendously tedious or both <laughs> both <laughs> it's enjoyable <laughs> you know it depends like when i'm editing you know i think it's great because you know i can be creative i can do stuff i can you know do this um it, it can be tedious too because it's a lot of work it's a lot you know you want to make sure the timing is right you want to make sure you got the best performances sometimes you can't use the best performances you got to use the ones that match what the other actors are doing you know what i mean so there's a lot that goes into it it can be frustrating at times but it can also be rewarding as well it can be you know one of the greatest things in the filmmaking process is the editing because now you can put it all together you know you're going to use a sound effect here you're going to use this score here you know, you're going to use this kind of color correction to make it dark. And, you know, it, it, it really is the meat of what's happening, I think. You know, I mean, you got to shoot what you got to shoot. You got to get the good core foundation. But in the edit is when you polish it and craft it and sculpt it and make it the final product that people are going to see on the screen. How, uh, and knowing, again, that you, you, are on both sides you've been on both sides of the camera i imagine you have found it necessary but uh yeah i'll even personalize it and say instead of saying oh Kiefer sutherland said he'll never watch anything he's in he can't stand to watch it i'll say i i've done some like comedy sketch stuff and uh, even editing like a clip for youtube from this podcast i cannot watch my i i I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see this. I don't, but you kind of have to at the same time, because it's, first of all, you, you can't get better if you can't see what you're doing wrong. That's right. And you know what you're doing well, because I, you know, the, the moment I realized that, and I, again, I, I really, my stomach recoils at seeing myself on screen and maybe that's a, you know you're new man you'll get used to it you're new 
But, you'll get used to it. Trust me, you'll get used to it. One, one thing from one of the comedy things I did was I, I just did a face at the camera uh, that was funny. And I'm like, I don't remember doing that. And it's like, all right, well, now I got to log that in the memory banks. This is a funny expression that I have, uh, you know. Um, so I guess that's, uh, you know, when you're when you're doing it, do you, are you just, you know, oh, this is me. I know how to watch myself. Or is it still kind of a little bit of like, oh, uh... <laughs> You know, that when I first started out, um, the first time I ever went and saw a movie with me in it, I started like sitting really low down in the seat. Like, is anybody going to see me? And then as the movie progressed and I was like, oh, well, that's not bad. You know, I kind of sat up and was like, ah. but even to this day, when I watch myself and the things that I do, you know, the stuff on HBO, I'm like, oh, you know, I could have done that better, you know, but that's just the way actors are. A lot of actors, they don't like watching themselves. I don't, you know, I've, I've learned that it's a learning tool for me to watch myself and then say, all right, you know, in future projects, and I'll worry about this and I'll think about that. Um, but I don't mind watching myself. I think I watched the Watchmen four times this week. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in uh, We Own This City, one thing I noticed with you was how uh, – natural you were uh meaning that you were a human and and this is a, a compliment obviously but uh one one scene where you I, you had a pretty lengthy monologue really uh uh you you had a drink or something or you were eating there was something it was just like and again i don't I was, know how much of that's written but it's like ah he's a real person that's i love when i see things like that because sometimes you just see a whole movie where nobody clears their throat no one takes a sip of water no one does and i'm like it's not real life <laughs> yeah no that, that that was written that i was eating a crab cake sandwich but you know when they gave me the props and everything and i had the straw and i had the big cup i was like you know i gotta use these things because in real life i would be using these things as i'm doing what i'm doing and um the the fine thing that i've learned over the years is that um things are subtle in, in film and television, right? And you can't telegraph them or overdo them. You know, you just, you just can't, you know, everything is minimized, your movements and everything, especially based on what lens they're using. You know, if they're using a wider lens, you've got a little bit more room to move around and turn your head and do things. But when they get in on close-ups and, you know, your face fills the frame like this, and you'll see that all the time in movies and TV. Yeah. Any slightest little tiny thing that you do, an eye movement, you know, a head shake, or, or you look off somewhere, it is massive, especially when it's on a big screen. And we all have 60-inch televisions now, right? So when you do that, and you don't need to do anything, that's, and Morgan Freeman said it, Robert De Niro said it, you know, I, I can run down the list of actors who have said that, but Morgan Freeman said, my career took off when I learned to do absolutely nothing. Hmm. And I took that to heart. And when I'm acting, I, pretty much, I try to do as little as possible. But the, the energy and the emotions are there. They're in my, you know, they're, they're there. But in real life, you know, if, if somebody's going to cry, like Michael Caine says, they fight it. They fight it. They don't want other people to see them cry. Now, you know, and it depends on the scenario. But, you know, the... The less that you do as an actor, the better I think it comes across as realistic when you see it on screen. So 
I wasn't trying to do too much in that scene with Wound Me. And I mean, she's fantastic and she's very real as well. And we're in our office. We're working. This is what we do every day. Robert De Niro said it. He said 80% of a film is just conversation, normal conversation that you have every day. Because in the conversation we're having right now, are, are we acting? No, we're just having a conversation. Am I doing a lot? No, I'm not doing a lot at all. And that's 80% of a film. Now, the other 20%, yeah, there, there is crying, there is yelling, there's screaming, there's you know, those things. And those things will come to you as an actor. But you, know, you don't have to push it. And a lot of times, just say the line. Just hit your mark, say your line. Yeah. You know, and, and you'll be fine. Uh, a lot of new actors, they come in, they feel like they got to act. I have to, this is my turn. Now I got to act. Then here we go. I'm acting. And it, you see it, I see it. Acting is the invisible art, man. If I see you acting, it's terrible. But if I just see right. you being, if I see you being, it's fantastic. And that's my goal as an actor to just be in that moment. Right? Sandy Meisner, you heard Meisner technique, you know, uh, I did a lot of reading of his work. I never took a Meisner. I did take one Meisner class at Shakespeare Theater in DC, but I never took anything extended in Meisner. But he says, actually doing or being under imaginary circumstances. That's his definition of acting, you know, the condensed version of it. Actually doing or being under imaginary circumstances, right? So, because when you get on a set or you're on a stage, those aren't real circumstances. It's imaginary. Right. But you as the actor have to actually be or do under those imaginary circumstances. And when you can do that and you, you can separate yourself from acting, right? Well, if you can do that, that's when it comes together and the audiences lean in and go, okay, I want to hear what this person has to say. Right. That's, and you see it all the time. You yeah. see it. You see it all the time. You see when an actor kind of pushes you away, and then you see when actors draw you in. You do. When yeah. whatever it is, TV, theater, commercials, you know. You no, see. it's it's well said, and it's. Uh, I'm just thinking of all the actors, you know, that that portray that perfectly. Uh, it's a, uh, and Gus Fring is one of them. <laughs> well, he is. John Carlo is. <laughs> he is very subtle. I mean, he's a master at yeah. the art of being subtle. And, uh, you know, he is Walter White, you know, um, uh, the way he does it. Um, J.K. Simmons is is a guy that I get mm. compared to sometimes, you know, very subtle with what he does. Uh, except when he's playing J. Jonah Jameson. Right. He's a little over the top, but you're allowed to be. It's a comic book movie. Yeah, that, that's the character. <laughs> that's that's his, uh, he's his, uh, the Alex Jones of the MCU. Yes, so... <laughs> You know, so, it is what it is. And you got to know it, it, it too in your, in your genres and what you're doing on TV. It depends on a lot of things. If you're doing a three camera sitcom and I don't know how many three camera sitcoms there are anymore. There, there are probably a handful, you know, out there, but I know a lot of Disney shows are like that. You can be a little bit bigger because it's like a staged play. So you can be a little bit bigger. You can have bigger movements. You can be a little over the top. That stuff plays. But if you're doing a one camera drama, you know, and, and it's it's like um, uh, the movie Precious. You remember the movie Precious? How raw that was? I mean, it, you know, a movie like that is just, you know, you, you don't have to do much. 
you just have to put yourself in that moment and be in that moment. You know, um, I watched Tick, Tick, Boom a couple of nights ago. I don't know if you saw that one recently, but um, uh, no. it's a musical directed by Lynn manuel Miranda. Uh, oh, OK. Hamilton. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yet. Fantastic. You know, and the acting, it was so awesome because, you know, they're doing the musical numbers. And of course, it's theater. It's musical. So they're bigger and they're bolder and boom, boom, boom. But when they would switch over to the real life stuff, it was raw and it was subtle and it was uh, it was just so cool to watch. Mm. And, uh, you know, really one of my favorite movies over the past few years, Coda, if you haven't seen Coda yet, what incredible acting and the people in it, the main actors, they're deaf and you're watching it going, these people are phenomenal actors and they're not even talking. And you're just like, holy wow, you know, and just watch Coda and you will be amazed by the actors in that film, amazed by what they did and how they did it. And, you know, those are the things that I get passionate about and I dig into and I see a movie like that and I'm just like, okay, what can I steal from these folks that I can use in my career and, you know, my technique, because that's the highest form of flattery. You, you take something from somebody else and you use it in your own career, you know it's it's incredible yeah no that's uh something i uh and this does not spoil anything but you'll you'll know it when you see it when you watch better call saul is when when there are moments of silence and i mean you know some of the most powerful things yeah when when the actor can still portray everything without using words it's like oh i gotta i gotta figure out and again Giancarlo. uh <laughs> Is, is the guy I'm talking about, but it's like, got to figure out how I can do that. that. <laughs> and, and here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't do anything. Mm. You know why? You know why? Because have the thought in your head, like I'm going to, you know, maybe the thought is I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you for what you just did. But you don't need to do anything. You know why? Because the audience will put that on you anyway, because you're in that scenario. The writing is great. The directing is good. You know what I mean? Everything comes together in that moment. When it's a well-written thing, the actor doesn't have to do much at all. Mm. And I remember a, a really quick story about the uh, new Harry Potter show that was on Broadway, uh, The Cursed Child, right? And the guy who was playing Harry Potter left and they had to replace him. And the new Harry Potter showed up. Well, on the mirror of the in the dressing room said, congratulations, enjoy your run do not do, and I'm paraphrasing and, you know, I don't know exactly what the words were, but it said, the character is there. You don't need to do any work. Just go out there and be Harry Potter. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You don't have to act and act Harry Potter. Just the writing is there. Everything is there. Mm. Just be in that moment. And, you know, it's, it's a great show. If you haven't seen it, you know, the cursed child is pretty awesome. So, well, uh, why wise words see this is a podcast that i will actually go back and listen to just to to you know as i'm as i'm uh, on set i'll be like wait let, let me see what ken has to say about it. <laughs> now and, and i will say this i will say this you're going to come across directors that are going to want you to be bigger you're going to want directors that want you to do less you have to be able to adjust as what you know like in baseball when you're playing baseball it's a game of adjustments you know, right. from one, one pitch to the next, you got to adjust. Right. Uh, same thing in acting, you know, from one show to the next, from one scene to the next, from one line to the next, you have to be able to adjust. 
when somebody gives you an adjustment, you got to be able to do it pretty quickly and, you know, and, and make it believable and real in that moment. So. Gotcha. Well, it's all about adjustments. Ken, b- before I let you go, uh, and I appreciate you joining me for all this time, uh, I got to ask you, you know, considering, again, this will probably be out in three, four weeks, uh, where can people, uh, what, what should people go watch or where can people be on the lookout for uh, your upcoming projects or already out well, projects, depending on? <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at Ken Arnold Actor or Facebook or Twitter. No, that's where I am uh, doing social media stuff. But you can also go to KenArnold.com, you know, and it's just like it's spelled Ken, K-E-N, Arnold, A-R-N-O-L-D.com. <laughs> and it's pretty simple. So you get, you go there, you'll see all the stuff that I'm involved in. So Perfect, perfect. Well, I, I look forward to uh, seeing a, a – spe- I'll give that horror western a, a, a shot. Again, yeah. horror's not up my alley, but that's – such a unique idea i I've, i gotta at least give it a try <laughs> yeah it's called uh, a town called purgatory you can actually see the uh teaser trailer for it right now on youtube uh so yeah and if you go to my go to my website it's on there under uh it's right on the front page so at the bottom is the uh teaser trailer for a town called purgatory uh it's a it's a good story we were supposed to shoot a horror comedy in romania but covid hit shut us down um, because it was too complicated, too many locations, too many people involved. So we shut it down. And then just joking around with our Austrian producer, we were like, hey, you wouldn't happen to have an old Western town near you in Austria. And we were just kidding. We're like, who Austria? They wouldn't have a Western town. Why would they? New Mexico might, but not Austria. And then the guy goes, nope, I got one 15 minutes from my house. Wow. <laughs> ne- next day, he's giving us a video tour of it showing us all the locations and everything and we're like boom we're coming we're going to shoot we're going to be there for a month and uh we went over there to austria and they were under a hard lockdown in, in covid like you couldn't do anything you couldn't go anywhere they were police stopping people on the street like you got your test results because if you don't you're getting fined right so it was crazy but we went over there we shot this movie over there uh you know not under the best circumstances but i think we got a good you know when you see the trailer you know, send me an email. Let me know what you think. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I certainly will. Uh, Ken, uh, thank you again for joining me. Uh, You're welcome, Jeff. I, I certainly will uh, be on the lookout for uh, more and more uh, of your stuff. And uh, I will uh, I, I'll stay in touch whether you like it or not. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. And best of luck on your upcoming shoot, man. Go out there, break some legs. But uh, don't break everybody's legs because, you know, they'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> then i'll just be the italian mafioso again and <laughs> exactly yeah thanks and it's jeff. funny jeff it's funny yeah. all my friends that i that i hang out with and i work with they're all italians all of them <laughs> and that's been true since my baseball playing days so i went to wagner college in staten island my name was the only one that ended in a consonant right it was deep. <laughs> everybody else was o a gagliardi filangieri you know it was just one italian after the next and then i go into filmmaking and now my business partners are dan deluca dan franco <laughs> right matt servito right so it's all italian i'm surrounded on you're, all sides you're like james Conn, an honorary italian <laughs> yeah i'm um <laughs> yeah i'm um Oh, well, Robert Duvall. I'm Robert Duvall. I'm yes, 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? I'm the Irish guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there always needs to be one. <laughs> I'm the consigliere. Right? <laughs>
or whatever. I don't know if I said it right, but yeah, but close, anyway, close it up. <laughs> but anyway, but thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And like I said, best of luck to you and uh, your acting career as you get started and you do your first film, man. That's awesome. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. That's it. That's all. I hope you had a ball. Uh, Ken Arnold, such a uh, fun conversation. Sorry. Uh, I talked about uh, Giancarlo Esposito so much. Uh, but as you listen to this episode, there might be only one episode left of Better Call Saul. And, uh, you know, I might be a week behind when I'm recording this. Who knows? Uh, I, I mentioned Tim McCarthy. He is the host of 20 Tim Minutes uh, podcast. Uh, what, a week after I had him or I interviewed him, he got Dane Cook on his podcast. So funny, funny timing. And I, I realize maybe I'm in this world and I don't realize it where, you know, I have Ralph Sutton. I interview him and, uh, at the end of that, he says, hey, I'm going to go uh, talk to Sticks," And the guest he had on before that on his show, the SDR show, was Stevie Van Zant. Uh, and I'm like, why is this guy talking to me? And then I, I talked to Tim and, uh, you know, it's uh, shortly thereafter is Dane Cook on his podcast. And I'm like, how the, why are these people talking to me? And then I realized oh, I'm getting closer, right? That's a good sign. And that just fuels my depression. <laughs> it, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Anywho, I got into that in the preamble. I'll save more of this. I will talk more next week. Um, because Tim uh, McCarthy, his podcast is really about mental health. Uh, so I will talk more about this then. Uh, you'll hear the beginnings of my little breakdown. These episodes, by the way, to be fair, are being recorded generally two to four weeks before you hear them, sometimes even slightly longer than that. It's just because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like today, I'm recording this intro and this outro. I was supposed to have a guest join me at four o'clock and it was a no call, no show. Uh, so I made lemons out of lemonade. Nope, that's the wrong way. Uh, that's that's actually how I do it. I take lemonade, I suck all the sugar out, and I give you sour lemons. That's kind of how my brain works, I think, sometimes. Um, but anywho, I don't like to leave things to chance as far as putting out a new episode. Because look, as successful... Uh, quote-unquote, as this podcast may be. No one's successful enough that when you're getting, especially a comedian, to come on your podcast that they might not accidentally or purposely decide they wanted to do something else instead. Comedians are terrible people. I know, I've done stand-up comedy. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm very much kidding. Most comedians are great. Uh, but... That's why I have kind of been fastidious this year. The podcasts are generally not timely because they're generally recorded, I would say, on average three and a half weeks before you hear them. So 
keep that in mind. Um, as, as this episode releases, and I'm recording this intro and outro exactly one week before this episode releases, I have four more already recorded and ready to go, and uh, another one scheduled to be recorded before any of those four release. So you can see, obviously, one a week. I think I'm going to change up on that. Uh, I also considering adding a Thursday episode, which is less of a one-on-one, but more of a fun, not a fun, but a, a conversation with me and a friend or uh, multiple friends. Uh, you know, we'll see. There, there may be some a little shakeups, but hey, take care of your skin. Go sign up for geology, get the trial pack and Flaviar, get a membership to Flaviar. And those cost money, but Ibotta does not. Just download the app and register for crying out loud. Save yourself some money. Make money back when you're spending money. Uh, It's just stupid that you don't. And if you have so much money that you don't need to save a few bucks every week on your grocery shopping, you might as well spend $3 a month becoming a beer buddy on my Patreon. The link is below as well. And uh, one of the benefits of Patreon is you... You get my love and respect, no matter what tier you sign up for. Uh, The $10 and $20 tier, you also get Jeff McAlino podcast logo merch. Uh, Every three months, you will get an item of merch. And I will be honest with you, they get better every month. Um, The nine month and the 12 month are both pretty sweet, I think. But, you know, I guess it depends on... uh, your perspective. So anyways, um, also next week you will hear because Tim McCarthy is the podcast where I came up with the new thing I say at the end of the episode because I don't know how to wind things down. Oh, by the way, follow me on all the social medias and subscribe to the YouTube channel and boom, it's over.